welcome to State of Unity Podcast, where we talk with people who used to live the ordinary and are now living in the extraordinary. What is a way? Is it a place? When you throw or wash something away, what or where does that mean? On today's episode, we speak with Janelle Mills, a civil engineer focused on sustainability in West Africa. Janelle has an eye for deconstructing infrastructure to understand the why behind it, and then use this understanding to help influence behavior toward more sustainable practices. This guy, this guy that I used to work with, at one point, I think we were talking about weekend plans and he, I was, you know, going through my to-do list. Like, I want to get this done and that done and this done. And he's like, you know, I have that list too, but that list isn't going to change if I don't change it. And so if I decide to have fun that weekend, those things will still be there on Monday. It's fine. Like it's not going anywhere. And that really helped me appreciate, I think like, it's okay to not get these things done today and, you know, maybe have fun because this is maybe the only time with this other opportunity. I don't know. So that really, yeah. as weird as it sounded, it allowed me to kind of relax a bit and just enjoy life a little bit more and not feel like my day is going to end if um, I don't get those five items checked off the list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also, for me at least, I've gotten to a point where I realized that this isn't a me versus anyone else race. Mm. It's a me versus me race. So if I don't get it done this week or next week, okay, but nobody else is in your lane. So yeah, like, there's also who that. Who trying to get ahead of right now? It, it, it didn't, yeah, that, that helped me a little bit too, to just say, all right, you know what? If we're not going to do anything for three days, maybe we need to just lay here and be okay with laying here mm-hmm. and not try to speed it up in any capacity. And yeah. <laughs> I yeah, think that. not having a not having a nine to five at this point is also helping with that because now I'm not constantly trying to beat this or beat that or mm. I'm, I'm just going with the flow and what happens happens and and I'm learning to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I mean it's kind of a gift and a curse, right? So an aspect to what I was saying, I think that's more like like your household tasks, right? Versus like you were saying, like, you're the only one getting things done for the company. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit more defined. Like, you know, I have these things that I need to get done at this time. And that's more of a, become more of a non-negotiable list for me, which helps me stay focused. And then come the end of the week, if I've gotten all those things done and it's a nice day to go to the beach, then I'm like, well, this is part of the bonus of why I'm doing this is because now I, you know, I'm not stuck in the office because it's not the specific time, but I actually got my work done so I can enjoy the day if I choose to. Well, Janelle, thank you so much for joining me all the way from Ghana. Am I saying it right? Ghana? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, where you are surprisingly only four hours ahead, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 5,000 miles. But- <laughs> 5,000 miles in four hours. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I thank you again for reaching out. Um, I don't know how we came across each other, but the little bit that I've learned about what you're doing over there is really exciting. Um, I'm all for the the environmental, the sustainability. That movement is 
I think what's going to keep this earth um, surviving for another <laughs> 50 years or so. So definitely Ooh. all for learning more about your mission and how we can support you and just what you have going on over there. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I am trying to it's a it's a big goal and I'm trying to break it into small pieces as much as humanly possible so that I can figure out where where at least I can wrap my hands around it is just me. Um, so I I'm a civil engineer by training by trade. Um, I spent a lot of years in New York um, going to school, getting training, working in construction projects and at some point I looked at the work I was doing. I was building a lot of things um, in New York City, a lot of um, transit hubs and, and you know, bridges. Um, I, my last project was an airport and I'm extremely proud of all of those projects. Um, but I was looking at what I was doing and I was thinking, you know, there, there are so many other ways and places I can have an impact. And I thought back to where my family's from. We're from West Africa originally. They came over to the US and that's how you know, I ended up there. But really looking at what exactly does the country, does the continent need and how can I start shifting us in a way towards development, uh, which you is are, how- Sorry, you were first generation, right? Like your parents yes. were the ones that moved over? Yes. Okay, sorry, um, I didn't interrupt you. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, it's, it's definitely, a, I think they call it a third culture experience where your parents come with one, but you're in a different culture. And so you end up doing an interesting blend of the two and mm. being able to pick and choose. Um, and from <clears throat> my experiences, um, it, really in college, we st I started flying between the two countries because my parents had moved back to West Africa and just driving through and seeing some of the conditions people were living in, seeing how infrastructure was developing or not developing. Um, it's always been in the back of my mind since I'd been going to college, you know, how do I take this one technique, this one concept that I learned, how do I apply it? Um, fast forward to now after all this construction experience and I'm looking at the country and I'm saying, okay, how do we take the natural resources we have and how do we preserve them? Um, the simple things like soil erosion or like how do you clean wastewater that comes out of people's homes? What do you do with it? Uh, this is definitely a country that very much still relies on septic tanks outside of people's houses. Um, well, septic tanks and I, something that theoretically could be gray water, but it's not quite. Um, the water that goes from your toilet goes into the septic tank, but any water that comes out of your kitchen sink, your bathroom sink, your shower, flows into an open gutter in, on the side of the street. It's gray water, and it, if, you were, if we were treating it, that would be amazing, but we're not. Um, so it just kind of flows, it, it meets other trenches, and then eventually flows into a river. Um, and part of my thinking was, okay, how do we... How do I design something that allows you to address that issue? Because, I mean, it's theoretically gray water, but because it's open, anything can be put into it. Anything can flow into mm -hmm. it. Um, animals can, can take some of it. 
there are people in certain regions where they they'll just stick a bucket in and they'll use the water and you sit there and you think to yourself like no that's not that's not really the point friends um, <laughs> So I am looking at ways to put together micro and macro infrastructure projects that can help with, uh, at the moment, looking specifically at wastewater treatment. How do we take water that comes out of people's homes and reuse it? And, and I think that the original concept is that theoretically you should be able to treat water and then to be able to disperse it out into the natural environment. That's the entire point. That's one of the best ways to clean it. But not everything that's flowing through this man-created structure is good for the environment or good to have exposed to the environment, to, to the air and not have protected. So I'm specifically looking at different ways to, to treat that with, with plants, with different filtration methods. Mm-hmm. Um, and in so doing, the reason I like plants, and I, I just love dealing with plants in general, but it's also, we're in a tropical country, plants are abundant here. There are lots of different ways that you can utilize them to either do food cultivation um, or to reutilize that water. And maybe it doesn't have to flow outside of the house. Maybe it could be self-contained. Hmm. Um, and just looking at different methods to, to, to be able to deal with it in a more sustainable way than we're currently doing it. Because if you actually follow these waterways, um, this gray water, I say use quotation marks because I don't know if it really is. Um, It eventually meets a stream and that stream eventually flows out into the ocean. Hmm. Well, like (laughs) it's disturbing, right? Um, (laughs) Like I I spent the first couple of years of my my career in engineering working on a bridge project and we had this giant system to filter out all the water, all the rainwater that came off of the bridge. And I remember thinking, well, it's clean water. It came off the bridge and it's just going right into the river. And they said, no, no, it's not. If you have cars that go over it, there's, there's rubber that comes off of their tires. There's smog that might get caught up in the rain that ends up on the ground not all of that water is clean, good water. Wow. So you do still have to do some level of filtration before it does finally make its way back to that water source. Hmm. Um, so looking at finding, finding stakeholders, I, I hate that word because I feel like everyone uses it here. Now it doesn't have much meaning to me. Um, <laughs> finding people who, who care, who are decision makers, who can implement some of these strategies, um, finding out who could be on my side to help explain to them that, hey, this is actually a problem. It doesn't look like it yet, but it is Mm -hmm. a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't really have a name for my company just just yet. Um, I have a name for the blog that I'm using to document my creating it. but I am putting together at the moment uh, plans to uh, develop these small micro projects and then launch them. And then as they get launched, uh, show these to people and say, hey, these are ways that we've used. Could we implement this in your little village? Could we put this in your development? Because there are a lot of large real estate developments going on, but they don't actually deal with the wastewater either. Hmm. They just... Oh no! You know, some, it's a uh, 
when you see what some people are doing, their quote unquote creative solutions, yeah, yeah, this raw sewage flows to a field. And you think to yourself, well, that's not really fixing the problem. You just put it over there. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I think that, you know, it's so funny because the United States, as far as building anything really, like the food industry, the buildings, the restrictions mm-hmm. and the levels of checks and balances that you have to go through to get approved on things, like a total nightmare to deal with. Mm-hmm. But at the same point, hopefully <laughs> as a result of that, we're not having, you know, things where... <laughs> The sewage is just flowing into a field where my breakfast is growing. (laughs) You know, someone will try to explain to you, well, well, it's just fertilizer. It's good for you. And sure. (laughs) That's my reaction. (laughs) Very skeptical. (laughs) Sure. You eat it first, right? (laughs) So I'm Uh, imagining you're not the first person there to see this problem so have you been able to sort of band together with other people that are working on similar ideas or is it I kind of feel like you're a lone island yet I feel like I'm a lone island and I think it's because a lot of a lot of the entrepreneurs that I see I'm moving a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've been able to find online that I see working on this Uh, are primarily focused on agriculture and agribusiness, which I totally understand. The government puts the majority of their money into that specific sector. Uh, But when it comes to looking at more of the infrastructure that they have around all of these things, I don't think that there's not an emphasis on it. I think it's just, there's just not a lot of funding there. Right, it's Uh, not what the money is right now. Yeah, Hmm. not until it becomes either A, a huge problem, or B, somebody shows them that there's a huge profit to be made. Yeah, unfortunately, that's, (laughs) and even then the problem part is like, well, there's no money there. It's just money, you know, you just have to spend the money. But I do think, and I, I hope that it's more of a global thing where you're starting to see a lot more social responsibility on these big companies and um, just companies in general. Like, I feel like people as consumers are a lot more, becoming more adamant about making sure that companies are doing things the right way instead of, well, this is the best price, so it doesn't really matter. I feel like we're transitioning to a point where we're willing to spend more knowing that they're making an effort to help things progress in the right way. Yeah. I, I want, I want to believe that. I, I, I see with the food movement that there are a lot more people who are pushing to go organic and are pushing to go locally grown. Um, I, I say this from a country where something as simple as, as the cereal we buy is imported sometimes from America, um, which again, four hours, 5,000 miles yeah. for Cheerios, which... Um, so I'm starting to see that transition, but when it comes to things like, like energy, for instance, I think a fair amount of that is, is financial and I'm not terribly mad at it. Not terribly mad at it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the local shopping centers here actually covered their entire parking lot with solar panels. Wow. So yeah. 
I, I was trying to poke around to see what percentage of their average power consumption is supplied by the solar panels and could not find the statistic, but I will let you, I'll let you know and follow <laughs> up. Um, but one of the issues that we have in this country, especially, um, our, our, the country is a hundred, well, I'd say 80% run by solar, well, hydroelectric, sorry, hydroelectric power. And there's one big dam that supplies the power for the majority of the country. Problem is, is that that area, it breaks down often because we only have the one power supply source. Mm. Um, so every once in a while, you'll get a power cut. And by every once in a while, I mean, we've had a power cut twice this week, um, where anywhere from two hours to 12 hours, and you just have no lights on. Um, and I think that the shopping center in response to that said, well, mm. we lose money every day that we're not able to have people be in the building because there are no lights, because there's no refrigeration. So they put up solar panels. Um, hmm. once, once they put up the first round of solar panels, people, you immediately saw people only park where there were solar panels and then refused to go into the store and just kept circling the block. And I think at some point the owners came out and realized, oh, when we, it, it's an open air parking lot. So they had to put up a structure to hold these solar panels. They realized that the panels provided shade, <laughs> which was previously lacking. So <laughs> they covered half of it. So only pe people would only park on the one half and wouldn't go into the store if they had to park on the other side. So then they put up the other half and now their shopping center is one of the most popular in the entire town. Um, and they're able to increase the rents and whatnot. Financial decision, but they're going for a more renewable power source. So yeah. it's like, I, some of, the, some of the circumstances that create issues are also creating opportunity. I, I think yeah. is really what I'm trying to get at. Um, yeah, that's very well said. And, and it, I, you know, it makes sense because I think even in your personal life, right? Like if, if nothing's really uncomfortable or problematic, mm -hmm. we're, we tend to stay the same. But as soon as there's, you know, something's friction of some sort, then that's when you're pushed to think, okay, well, what should I be doing differently? Yeah. Yes, most definitely. I mean, I, I love being able to drive down the street and you see solar panels on people's houses and it's not necessarily because they want to protect the environment. I'm sure some of them, that is the reason, but if the power goes out, now I don't have hot water in my house. Mm -hmm. So it's supplying something. It, it, it's, I think the biggest leverage I, I have that we have is, is using using some of the inconveniences of, of this local area to try to push people towards more sustainable mm -hmm. choices. Um, in dealing with wastewater, um, one of the problems that we're eventually going to hit as a country is that we don't have a lot of freshwater sources. So the idea that we're dispersing water into the ocean, water that otherwise could be cleaned and reused, okay, so... <laughs> Let me just make this, do I have to make the problem worse or do I have to have the solution before it gets worse? Hmm. And it's, it's the, the game I'm playing right now. Um, but as I start to talk to more people, 
I, I think I'm going to get closer, closer to a solution. But for right now, to break it into smaller pieces, right? The first thing to be able to make people aware of that, that there's a problem is to try to bring people to the problem, to see what it's like, to see, see mm -hmm. them deal with it. Yes. Um, and it was kind of why I wanted to reach out to you because I saw that you were doing, uh, you, you had a, a program where you took people on vacations, but they also got to sample real culture, but also got to do something to help um, the situation. And what I think the, one of the biggest issues here is that if people can't see that their behavior is causing problems, they don't know that there's something that they can do to fix it. So to be able to bring people and to draw people in, um, that we have a lot of citizens of this country who are expats living somewhere else to be able to say, hey, we're gonna go on a trip. We're gonna visit a city. By the way, while we're there, we're going to uh, take a look at some of the, uh, <laughs> the impacts of what being a human being in this particular region means. I need you to see that because when I start talking to you about wastewater, I need you to see what it is. I want you to be able to swim in the ocean and play in the pools, but I also need you to contextualize where this water came from and where it's gonna go once you're done with it. I, I, I love the ability to be able to walk somebody through that story and to be able to tell them and make it more concrete to them but also have some fun along the way. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, you can think about <clears throat> like the, I don't know, the amount of trash that one person throws out in a week, right? It's nothing because it's gone. You know, they come and take it away and then you start over again. But I think, you know, if I were to go see what this accumulates to, it would probably have a big impact on what I'm doing and like being, mm. just being more aware, I think in, anything um it brings it to the front of mind it helps you be an advocate for it and it also helps change your actions so i think you're going uh definitely in a good direction just bringing awareness at this point um i think you and i both like to believe <laughs> like you were saying like i i have that positive mindset like people are aware and things are changing but at the end of the day maybe not so much i don't know <laughs> we'll see I, yeah. <clears throat> We have to have the hope. I, <laughs> it's funny that you use the word away. I think we use that word too much. Oh, um, I, I, have yeah. a, I have a colleague that I used to work with and he used to laugh and say, haha, the American paradigm of away, right? That elusive amorphous concept of away. Well, where is away and what does away mean, right? That's Just fantastic. because it's over. <laughs> Just because it's over there doesn't mean it's magically gone, right? Mm. Um, Love that. Okay, I, well, see, now you're changing me already. <laughs> Never going to forget that. <laughs> yeah, like, what do we call it? Like, and it's got to, right? It can't be, it's got to be something that makes so clear, like, we're going to go bury this in, in Tim's backyard. I feel like if you blanked <laughs> it that way especially the little kids, they would say, wait, that sounds like a terrible idea. Like, why are we doing that? But yeah. that's, in, in areas like this, that's literally what happens where if you have a neighbor who hasn't been to his property, like if he just has a lot of land, but no house on it, okay, we're throwing it away. And it's literally in Tim's front yard. 
that's a way, right? It's, it's not in my house. Uh, but we actually, uh, we actually have a landfill that they filled in five years, even though it was built for a service life of 15 because wow. of this concept of a way. And because people didn't understand that a way meant Some way. like we're, we're aggregating it. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Um, I want to shift topics a little bit because when we spoke last time, um, we had talked about farming and sure. some of the restrictions that they have there. And I don't know if you're familiar with Monsanto. Was it of Monsanto? Yeah. And what you were telling me reminded me so much of what happened in this country with um, the farmers in Monsanto and how, you know, basically like they don't own their land anymore because mm-hmm. of <laughs> this company that came in and made all these regulations and now crops as they originally were are you know it's it's just transformed everything so can you share again just a little bit about what's going on there sure um so at the moment the in order to prop up the agribusiness there are a lot of a lot of grants that exist right now for countries to purchase seeds and fertilizers from outside Um, unfortunately what happens is that once that material comes into the country So once you get, say, your corn seeds, your tomato seeds, you plant them, you get a harvest, the seeds that are actually in that food, you can't replant. Nothing will come from them. So essentially what that means is that uh, some of these farmers, some of these farmers are are really doing subsistence type growing um, where, you know, a a big crate. So that's about a meter cubed right? They, of tomatoes, you maybe can sell that for 30 bucks in the marketplace, which is actually pretty cheap. Because uh, especially considering that a lot of that goes on to being processed food products that they sell for a lot more than that. Um, so every year they don't make a lot of money, but every year they're forced to buy new seeds from whatever company is supplying them. In, in one sense, it's a kind of aid to keep people propped up, but when you have people stuck in the cycle of must, we ha- we've got to buy new seeds and then we've got to plant them. And then we got to clear all the land and buy new ones every year. You kind of keep certain people in poverty. Mm-hmm. And that's not, it's aid, but it's, it's not really it's helping. Not, it's dependent aid. Yeah. It's, mm. <laughs> it's, um, it's helping without the help. I'm so- not sure. <laughs> Why are the seeds genetically modified to not grow or like? Some of them are genetically modified and some of them are hybrids. Mm. Uh, I believe there's a, there are a few seed banks that the country likes to work with where they'll do breeding of non-GMO with, with some of these GMO seeds to hybridize them to get better yield, not necessarily better taste, but just better yield and more resilient (laughs) to bugs. Um, Oh, it bothers me. Um, but for whatever, because of the way that they're cultivated, you can't get them outside of a lab. They're grown in their farm factories and then they get dried and sent to you. So you don't know the person that made the seed. You're, so if you have a complaint, you're complaining to, you know, Acme XYZ LLC and good luck if you get an answer. 
Um, whereas a, a movement that I'm really interested in is the organic non-GMO sort of movement where we practice things like seed saving, where if I'm growing seeds in one part of the country and you're growing seeds in a different country, we should be able to exchange and interchange and to crossbreed if they're the same kind, because your seeds, maybe you grow in a drier area and your seeds are more resilient to the heat. Uh, mm. But if my seeds are better in a wetter area, um, maybe there's a combination there. Maybe the flavor's a little bit different. So we can put our two seeds together and get a third kind that appeals to the market better. Um, I think that puts the power back in the hands of the farmers to be able to decide what they want and to be able to cater to their customers more effectively. Um, it, it's surprising, I think, to the people in our neighborhood, because I do the gardening at our house, so they come by and there's tomatoes and there's flowers. It's not normal that people who live in the suburbs do that. Um, so really, I am trying to encourage people to start doing the gardening and the planting for themselves, to start growing their own food, but also doing it with the intention that at some point within the next year or two, I'd like to start doing organic seed production uh, to, to encourage people to grow their own food, but to also give a little bit more power back to the farmers, because one mm -hmm. tomato the seeds in one tomato can change a family's life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's different flavors, it's different textures, it's different tastes. Um, to have a wide variety of food also helps, I think, the country because, you know, maybe, maybe this one breed of corn is super susceptible to pests, but a different breed wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there's a hybridization of the two where we can blend two kinds, but it's not, it's not genetically modified. You don't have to come back to me to get the seed. You might choose to, because it's easier than having to save it yourself, but it's not like, you don't have to, you don't have to constantly go to the government to get the money to go get it. And I think yeah. it also puts more onus back on the farmers to say, okay, now you have to be responsible for the outcome. Mm -hmm. So if you want good yield, take care of what you've got this year. And, and of course, you know, you'll, you'll find new pests and you'll, you'll get around it, but find new ways to be organic to be a little bit I think a little bit more choosy because when the government when the government decides for you what they'll pay for they also are essentially determining the diet of the entire country hmm. which I think is part of the problem in America is that the government decides what you grow with, with whether you know it or not so you don't actually control your own nutrition standards that's that's not been true like 100, 200, 300 years prior. I would say even, yeah, even 100 or, I mean, I think right around the 50s is when things really started changing here, yeah. um, which is not that long ago. You know, my, my grandma, all my grandparents grew up on farms where they raised their own fruits and vegetables, sorry, not fruits, because they lived in the North, but their own vegetables and, you know, the chickens, my grandma would say she'd go out and she'd kill the chicken and take the feathers off the chicken and cut the chicken and cook the chicken. And that was just life at that point. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's interesting. I never thought of it as the government controlling the diet, but a hundred percent. And that's, 
<clears throat> I watched an obscene amount of documentaries on <laughs> food and um, nutrition and things like that. And just the saturation of corn in everything, corn and palm oil. And, yeah. you know, you think about it and that's what the government pays out for these farming lands is corn. So of course it's in all the food because it's, you know, it's this full circle of the money coming back. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it's not to say that the government's bad or anything, but it's like, do you trust a politician with an MBA to decide for you which of the 38, you know, breeds of broccoli you, your family should be eating? If, if, yeah. If, not if only yes, that, but like, don't you have better things to do than <laughs> worry about what's being planted? I don't know. <laughs> correct. Like, for me, if you don't have a degree in plumbing, please don't touch the pipes in my house. <laughs> I don't want it <laughs> yeah fair, fair um well it sounds like you have more than your hands full with ideas and visions and just everything that you have um trying to work on over there so how can we support you sure um well I I have a blog bellbuilder.com so like um I'm constantly posting interviews with other people that I'm, I'm working with, people who kind of give me ideas or encouragement. Um, I'm starting to put up content to cover some of the activities that I'm currently working on. Um, and, and well, I'm gonna be working with you to try to put together a trip to bring people over here. So if, if people would like to come along and see what's going on in this country, see what they can do to help, whether they have a skill or if they would like to help bring more heirloom seeds that we can get going and start planting and and start an actual trade, I would I would love that. Um, but I'll I will put up a list on on the Bell Builder blog, and then people can come and see um, what areas I'm specifically focusing on, so that they can figure they can also take a look and see if if they have skills that they can offer. So cool. Yeah. Yeah, I know um, a handful of engineers actually that are kind of similar to you, I think, where they, you know, they're doing these jobs, but they see this opportunity to do so much more and really wanting to have a position where they're working more in the sustainable uh, market. So I'll definitely have to connect you with some of them as well. I would appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. And then... Um, so before we sign off, I like to ask um, all my guests one final question, sure. and that is, if you were given a sailboat to sail around the world in, Uh-oh. what would you <laughs> name it? Whoa, that's not where <laughs> I thought that was going. <laughs> mm. I... Okay, the first word that comes into mind is the expression. Um, and I think because, I think because if we use our words effectively and precisely, um, you don't even have to say the whole sentence, just that hint of an idea is enough to carry you from place to place. And you pick up passengers and drop them off where, where you need to. Yeah. I wouldn't, would, I wouldn't be on the boat by myself. No, I'm bringing <laughs> stuff with me. 
That was, that's beautiful. Very well said. Very eloquent. Thank you. I like that. I have enjoyed talking with you. You are a very lovely person. <laughs> Thank you. I feel the same. I, I look forward to continuing our conversation and obviously working on future travel plans to Ghana and just all the cool things that you have to show us there. So thank you so much for your time. I'm sure this won't be the last time we connect like this. Absolutely not. (laughs) All right. Be well. Thank you. You as well. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, spread the word, share with a friend, post it, comment, shout out, let us know. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss another episode. Follow us on our socials and be sure to check out stateofunity.org for upcoming group experiences. This is Kara Irene, hoping we leave you feeling inspired to do more.